DNVR presents. The pitch is hit again to left field. It's got a chance. It's gone. Minor League Mondays. Your weekly look at some homegrown guys who are trying to make their way up to the big leagues. And here's your host, Patrick Lyons. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast, brought to you by Mile High Green Cross. Sign up for their loyalty program and you will receive 20% off your entire purchase once per month. That's Mile High Green Cross because supporting our partners is supporting us. Welcome to Minor League Monday, and welcome to the working week. I am Patrick Lyons, your host for today as we talk a little about Minor League Baseball, as well as touching on Major League Baseball. And we have two very special guests, because together, I think we are the three best friends that anyone could have. (laughs) We are. That is none other, you probably already know those laughs, that would be uh, Drew Creaseman, our, our other man, right? The man, our editor-in-chief at DNVR Rockies, at Drew Creaseman. And one of the, I don't want to just say the mother of, uh, I want to say Rockies get. super fan. Rockies okay. super fan. Yeah, We've got baseball. Grand, potential Grand Junction Rockies historian. And overall baseball historian, Barbara Creaseman. You can follow her if you can find her at Barbara Creaseman on the Twitter dark web. Uh, she is none other than Barbara Creaseman. Thank you for joining us, both of you. Thank you. You're welcome. This is going to be fun, right? <laughs> Honored to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Long time uh, lover of the show. Big fan. Big oh, thank fan. you. That that means a lot to me. And right back at you, too. But, but let's focus more on me. Now, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, originally the topic that I wanted to go through on today's show, we would have covered in March, and we would have covered other topics at this point by now in the season after the first week of minor league baseball. But we all know uh, that the world that we currently live in, there is no baseball. But one of the things I did want to talk about in, in March was life on the backfields. What is it? What does it mean to be there in spring training in February? particularly in March, when they're having games on the backfield and all the prospects are there at Salt River Fields. They've got numerous different games going on and practices and scrimmages and just to kind of be a fly on the wall. And what two better people to have than Mr. Drew Creaseman, who's been covering the game from that aspect for, for so many years now. And, and Barbara, you've been there just as a fan and enjoying and keeping an eye on these guys, not just when they're in Grand Junction, but also when they finally make it to the little big show and the backfields of Salt River Field. So, uh, Drew, maybe start us off. Do you remember that first spring when you went down and, you know, besides the fact that you, you got to cover the big club, but when you realized that you would kind of have – you know, almost unfettered access to the minor leaguers on those backfields. What was it like? What were those early memories? How did it feel? Yeah, um, I I remember it very clearly. And you're right to point out that one of the things that blew my mind immediately was just how many guys were walking around. So my first time down at spring training, I had actually already – uh, done, you know, a half a season of covering the Grand Junction team and had maybe one or two days inside the Coors Field Clubhouse. And so I had, you know, this kind of concept of, yeah, it's pretty relaxed in Grand Junction, but you still got to follow a couple of rules. There's, there's still, you know, separation between the players that make it feel more formal. And then how formal it is at Coors Field and, and kind of regimented. And actually, that's even less than as I've come to learn a lot of other pro sports. Um, but then you just go to the backfields at spring training. These dudes are just walking around just for anybody to walk up and talk to and ask for an autograph or hang out before and after their practices or scrimmages or games that they're playing back there, uh, whatever they may be doing. And so, yeah, I was definitely still the new kid at the time, but I had gotten to know 
some of those guys who are on that 2013 Grand Junction team. So I'm looking for Ryan McMahon and John Gray and uh, Eddie Butler, who I had already kind of gotten to know a little bit, and and some of these guys, Jordan Patterson, just so you know, a friendly face. Hey, how's it going? I can, you know, maybe they could introduce me to a few other players, and it just sort of goes like that, and, and you get talking to people. But yeah, I was amazed by how much like one of the things they'll do is if you're not playing in that particular game or you're not starting, you're not doing something. A lot of the guys just sit out there with the fans and watch and like hold radar guns and just hanging out with everybody else. I, I would, it just, it still kind of blows me away how easy it is to go up and, and talk to these minor leaguers. Some of whom, you know, may just be organizational guys. Sure. A lot of them, but right along with the top prospects in the organization, just hanging out. Yeah, that's one of the things that I I enjoy most is that there's there's you there covering the Rockies for for DNVR as a, as a journalist sitting right next to some some prospect with a radar gun tracking pitches sitting right next to a fan and you are all on the same side of the fence kind of watching the game maybe in a different way but definitely loving it and enjoying it in the same fashion. So Barbara, for you as a fan what is that experience like? Or maybe even go through that, that first year when you went down and kind of seeing all of these players just everywhere with no velvet <laughs> rope around them and not not being behind the velvet rope and just, again, kind of having that unlimited access. One of the things that uh, kind of took me aback or, or not surprised, but you don't really realize it is how many guys are there. I mean, there's a lot of guys and uh, <clears throat> like I said, they can have three games going on on those backfields and still have a bunch of guys back behind home plate watching them, cheering them on, heckling them, their own guys, of course. Uh, so it's a lot <laughs> of fun. And then uh, meeting some of the, of the people that, that host the kids, that host the players uh, in places like Asheville, as an example. We've met some people from there. Uh, but seeing the players just get out there with a whole bunch of other players, especially if they were just in Grand Junction, and now they got invited. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's something that some folks might be surprised to learn is that on the lower levels of the minor leagues, there are host families who take these players in because you know, frankly, they're they're not getting paid very well, and also they need somebody to just keep an eye on them, right? <laughs> Even if they were to have a a, a little apartment to themselves, yeah. they're gone for you know seven, ten days at a time. When they get back, you know, who's kind of keeping an eye on their stuff? So it's it's a safe environment, and but it's also it brings these I think fans and and people with with big hearts. It brings them on the inside of the game and allows them to be kind of extended family members. It, it, you know, to, to those ballplayers. And, and you've met a lot of those yeah, too, right, Yeah, exactly. Uh, obviously, I've met people in Grand Junction and people that I've known for a long time and then found out they were host homes. And sometimes I, they will host more than one player. So a couple of players that, especially, you know, in the rookie league, didn't know each other, you know, don't know their host homes. So they're all getting to know each other and they're all going to the ballpark every night, which is pretty cool. And I'm... Um, as far as I know, I, I believe even some of the guys that get major signing bonuses, they still do stay with host families because even if you just think about how much the rent costs during a season, you know, it, it might not be a, a great situation entirely. But, you know, these host families, they definitely keep keep baseball, professional baseball, major league baseball moving and going forward. They do it in places like right here in Boulder for the Boulder Collegians. It's a summer collegiate league. Um, of course, everyone knows about Cape Cod, and you may have heard stories about the Alaskan Baseball League, as well as um, the Northwoods League up in the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. These these places where you know future big leaguers and 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 prime Division One players, where they go to ply their trade with wood bats in the summer. Well, they they need a place to stay as well, and these families are very much the lifeblood of the game and keep those keep those players moving forward and give them a, a safe place and is like their family away from their family because let's face it for so many guys who you know might not be making you know millions of dollars in the first two rounds their families can't afford to go and 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 follow their career from city to city they've got their own lives and 
their working jobs. So it's it's pretty neat that you know that some of the families stay connected with the players and still get to see them there on the backfields at Salt. You River. know, one of the fun things to do is to see uh, somebody that has these players. So you know, people that have housed, say they're in Asheville. The player moves on; they don't move on. They get another player. But on the backfields, they're getting hugs from a bunch of guys, guys that they had last year or the year before, you know, and they're walking by and saying hi. And then people will tell you stories about guys that have made it to the majors and now they're getting married and they get an invitation to the wedding. And uh, a lot of them stay really close, like you were saying. They become part of the family. And I think the parents appreciate it. with uh, last year, there was an interesting discussion without going into specifics uh, between like Ryan Valade's mom and whoever had been his host home before. It was, you know, just people talking and I'm glad you're here supporting them. It's funny. I was actually, yeah, go ahead, Drew. Go ahead. I was just going to say one of my uh, favorite host home stories along those lines that mom was talking about. Uh, it was John Gray's host home in Grand Junction. And I feel terrible that I'm blanking on their names. John would remind me. Uh, he definitely knows. I know he's kept in touch with them over the years. And, and and I would recognize them and say hello. If I saw them, it's just been several years now. Um, but I remember talking to them for a piece I was writing about the time. And I was looking for anecdotes. And uh, they were talking about how after games back then, and this was a guy with a signing bonus of, I think, $4.8 million, I want to say, um, who, after his games in Grand Junction, would come home and play catch with their son and just hang out in the backyard uh, and play baseball. And, you know, you better believe that kid created some lifetime memories and enjoyed John Gray's debut as much, if not more than anybody in the world and the 16 strikeout game. And my goodness, you know, if he's been following along, but those are the, you know, the, the, those are some of the really cool stories you don't often think about from two and a half years, two ish years before he would ever step foot on a major league diamond. It's funny, the story you relayed Barbara, because I, as you were speaking, it made me think of a, a gentleman that we have in our Sabre chapter who, was somewhat of a host to Charlie Blackman here in Denver. It was a program that I think the Rockies have since uh, disbanded, but to help, you know, some of the young guys when they came up from the minor leagues and, and he was a a host to Charlie when, when he came up a decade or so ago and he got an invitation to, to Charlie's wedding last year. And um, it's, it's just so interesting, you know, what goes on behind the scenes before the guys get to those big, you know, spotlights of, of Coors Field. Um, and, and another place that's got probably a lot of spotlights on it. Uh, it's might not be Coors Field, but maybe someday there'll be a Breckenridge Brewery ballpark, Triple B, down in Littleton. I, I don't know if there, I'd go. Yeah, that would be cool if there was a little minor league ballpark uh, named for them. And and you could also probably nickname it the Farmhouse. Oh, cool. <laughs> I think that would also play pretty well. Uh, the oh, Farmhouse is, is yeah, the wonderful restaurant. Uh, right there in the property of Breckenridge Brewery in Littleton. And again, they're one of our wonderful supporters that we hope you can reach out to and and get some fantastic food uh, from the farmhouse. Uh, You can get $5 off your meal with code DNVR. They've got pickup right there in the parking lot from 12 to 8 p.m. You can get a 15-can sampler through Drizzly, uh, and you can give them a call get a pencil. If you don't have one, just go back 15 seconds. It's 303-803-1380. And they just may deliver in your area as well. So make sure you support them because they support us as well as Davidson's beer, wine, and spirits. If you're not interested in the grub and you just want some Breck brew, well, you can get their 15 can sampler there as well. They're locally owned. They got a massive selection. They carry all your favorite Breckenridge Brews, and they are incredibly knowledgeable. So don't hesitate to ask them any questions that you might have. Tag them and tag us when you grab your booze from Davidson's. Well, one of the things that always seems to grab headlines, so to speak, is is the latest and hottest prospect each year going into camp, whether it's a guy that might break camp with the Rockies or a, a recent draft pick that this is your first time seeing them guys who get selected in the draft in June. Now this year, we don't know if it'll be June or July, but the guy gets selected in June. He doesn't show up till Sart river fields the first time, usually until February or March 
of that next year. We don't, I don't think the Rockies have had a player uh, show up at Salt River during the Arizona Fall League. That would be unprecedented. Um, but you finally yeah. get to see him in, in February and March. Uh, Barbara, we'll, we'll start with you. Is Has there been anyone where you were really excited to get your first look at someone or maybe someone who surprised you? You were, you were watching a game on one field and you just kept hearing this crack of the bat and like, what the heck is going on over there? And, and someone caught your eye. Uh, you know, the thing that's most like that actually wasn't on the backfields, but it was at the, at, uh, in Grand Junction. And Drew was going down, and it was the middle of the afternoon and going in early to try to, you know, see who he could catch up with and what was going on. And we were hearing that crack of the bat, which is what reminded me. And we walked in and there was a lady there and I don't think there was anybody else, maybe a couple of guys, cause it's not really open to the public. It's not a public thing. And it was Sam Hilliard, right? Drew. And was it Ferguson? Yeah. They Ferguson. were, they, yeah. and what we found yeah. out was the team had been having their own little home run derby. And then it was one <laughs> of our pitcher's younger brothers who was on the PA, kind of doing play-by-play. Do you remember who that was doing play-by-play mm-hmm. for this home run derby? It was Hunter Brothers. Yeah. Who was it, Drew? Hunter Brothers, Rex okay. Brothers' little brother. It was the brother's younger brother. Brothers. <laughs> and one of my thoughts is if that kid didn't make it in ball, he should think about being an announcer because he was doing a pretty fun. And, of course, all the guys were into it because it was down to those two, and they were just swamping. And they were doing it fast. They were doing that. And Sam Hilliard's mother was there, and we got to meet her, and it was pretty cool. She said, I didn't know. Is there something going on? And we said, they're just practicing. They're just uh, and the same kind of thing can happen when you go back. So now you're in Salt River and you got a whole bunch of guys. So early before the games, they actually are out doing batting practice or doing, uh, you'll hear uh, a coach pitching saying, this is what the setup is on the field. So what do you do when this happens? You know, he'll give a scenario and making sure people are moving the right way or uh, whatever that happens to be, whether they're doing fielding. And then uh, mostly when they're doing batting practice, it's like you see before a game. Uh, but, you know, they do a whole combination of things. One one day we were there and they had all of our pitchers out on, they've got this little bitty field over by the batting cages and they had the pitchers all out there practicing mm-hmm. bunny. I'm not sure what they learned, but they were practicing. <laughs> <laughs> She's just gonna sit there and watch pitchers bunt and stuff. Hey, I, hey, that that came in handy for me once when I was in Albuquerque and I and I saw Yancy Almonte bunting and I was like, man, he's like incredibly talented at bunting. And I found out he was a switch hitter. <laughs> you know, of course, he he only bats right-handed now, but you know, learned all this interesting stuff just from watching a, a bunting drill. Sure, sure. Drew, anyone for you that you were, you know, extremely excited to see? Maybe someone that jumped past Grand Junction, you know, got their start at, you know, either either Boise or, or Tri-City at the time that you didn't get a chance to see or someone who really caught your eye on those backfields at Salt Rivers? There were a couple of guys that I had, like, just missed. Uh, Trevor Story was, was one of them. I was very very excited to tr- see Trevor Story. Actually, when I saw him for the first time at uh, on the backfields, he was playing third base, and Roselle Herrera, Rosie Herrera, was playing shortstop. Uh, this was before the Rockies had moved him into the outfield and, and eventually traded him. Uh, but, yeah, I was very excited to see Trevor Story. Then there were guys like uh, David Dahl, who I had seen once in Grand Junction at a game, but obviously I really, really wanted to watch him, and he was phenomenal. Watching him on the backfields was ridiculous. Like watching David Dahl play against, but you know, kids barely out of high school was just unreal. Even though he was a kid barely out of high school, he just didn't look like one. Um, I'm trying to. They're they're definitely. Oh, you know what's an interesting one was Tyler Anderson. I remember being really interested in wanting to see Tyler Anderson because he had missed some time due to injury, but his numbers had been so good. And it was one of those, 
You want to see if this guy's healthy, and he was, and he looked good, and he was blowing guys away, and he would go on that year to be uh, one of the best pitchers in Double A when the team it was still in Tulsa back then. Um, but yeah, I remember really wanting to get a look at uh, Tyler Anderson of all people. Yeah, you, you really get you know you really put your nose to the grindstone there, and 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 put your ear to the earth to kind of get a feel of things because. You know, as as you talk about Trevor's story and just missing him, you know, he had played the 2011 season, the final season of the Casper Ghosts, and then 2012, of course, uh, they moved to Grand Junction. And as you said, rightfully so, uh, that year in 2011, Story started 15 games at third base and 28 at, at shortstop. So they were trying to see, all right, well, we got a guy named Troy Tulowitzki at shortstop that could be there for another decade so he might need to play third base and then you know by the end of that next year nolan arenado kind of emerges on the scene in the high levels of the minors and they say no let's let's leave this story kid at shortstop i i think he's going to be fine i think that was was probably the right call (laughs) yeah yeah good call (laughs) you know it is fun to uh if you're here in grand junction so like you said a lot of the guys start here so they haven't been to spring training, right? Their rookies are starting here. Maybe they have a second year, but lots of times. Somebody like John Gray, I think he was only here six weeks um, before he he moved up. And we were there that night that he got the call to move up. Uh, and then you get to the spring training. So after these guys have done their rookie year at Grand Junction, you get to spring training and how excited they are and how excited you are to see them. And they're there and they're the young guys. They're the kids with all these other guys uh, is pretty cool. And I think that first year it was what John and um, Ryan Tapia and Ryan McMahon and Carlos Estevez and uh, just a bunch of the guys that we now see. Mm-hmm. And then just see them in spring training and uh and you know how guys can change over those few years just to maturity, both with the game and just uh, they can be kids. There was, there was a kid that was 17, right, Drew, when he started with Grand Junction? There have been a couple of those. You're probably thinking of Kevin Padlo, who okay. ended up in that mm-hmm. trade. Um, Marquez and... Yeah, Marquez was pretty young. I think Tapia was 19 in Grand Junction. I think McMahon was okay. 18 uh, in Grand Junction okay. when we first met him. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Oh, oh, Nunez. That's you might be I thinking think of so. Dom Nunez. He was there. Yeah. He was he was playing second base on that team, and he was. Um, I think he was 17 years old. Yeah. Oh my! Yeah, Grant Levine taken in the, the 2018 draft was, was 18, you know, when he finally made a start at Grand Junction. But as we've kind of touched on is, is that a lot of the college aged players, they, they, they bypass Grand Junction now at this point, you know, Grand Junction and Boise are, are basically, a, um, you know, on the same end of the spectrum, as far as it's, it's short season baseball. It's the guys who just get drafted or players uh, who are international signings making their first appearance in America. And, now, typically, you see most of the, the college-aged guys, at least the Division One college-aged guys, they go right to Boise, and they, they skip Grand Junction. And so it's kind of interesting. Grand, uh, John Gray was probably one of those last guys who you know went to a, a big school like the University of Oklahoma, as right. you said, Barbara, made four starts, and didn't even go to, to Tri-City at that point. He went up to Modesto. He went up to High A. So he skipped Asheville. He went to High A. And then by the time you see him for the first time in uh, 2014, he's already they're already talking about him going to Tulsa So uh, in AA. So he, he made a jump really quick. It's kind of um, – he's, he's definitely kind of a, a special case there that, that you were able to see them, which is which pretty cool. And, you know, Tyler Nevin – and Riley Pint were two highly recruited guys that came through here, and we're still waiting to see what they're doing on some things, right? See their maturity development. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of buzz about those two guys, and there's also been a lot of buzz on Manscaped because they're one of our newest partners. <laughs> and, you know, and normally when we say ball is life, we're talking about basketball. It could mean baseball. Uh, and it could have everything to do with Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, and they've got the right tools 
for the job. No two ways about it. Their lawnmower 3.0 is fantastic. You also have the perfect package 3.0 kit. Either way, anything that you choose, whether it be the crop preserver or the crop reviver, you can get 20% off using code DNVR20. You also get free shipping at manscaped.com. Speaking of buzz, um, we have a funny story from a couple years ago. Because uh, normally when there are night games, which are, I think are, are fairly few and far between, wouldn't you say? Like there being night games on the backfields? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. rare. And so they were playing the Angels affiliate because they're not too far in, in Tempe. And, and you had three games going on. I think you had AAA, AA, and then A-ball, right? You had guys on those three diamonds playing games. And we were there. That was the, the first day that I even met Sam Bradfield. And but Black's behind home plate, you know, behind the fence. He's watching one of the young guys on the on the mound. I, I got my first first look at Brendan Rogers, and right there in the middle of the game, it was somewhere around the sixth inning. The lights went out. The night the lights went out at Salt River Field, it was pitch black. No one could see anything. And here, in the midst of this multi million dollar facility with prospects that will go on to earn hundreds of millions of dollars in their career, the lights just shut out game over the end and everyone just went their separate ways it was one of the wildest things i had had ever experienced before yeah that was nuts <laughs> everybody <laughs> standing around in the dark going well now what do we do and uh but black wonders buying us i guess that's it guess we're done Yes, we're calling it. Some people were like, should we turn on our car light? To like, of course, everyone's got their phones and flashlights out. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a pretty bizarre evening. And never it, it was like Little League. I've been. <laughs> it reminded me of being in Little League. Uh, actually, this was, I think I was coaching Little League uh, just a few years out of college, and we were playing a game. And we were up seven to one, humble brag. We were awesome. Whatever those kids could hit. Um, and the sprinklers just came on. And we all kind of looked at each other. We waited five minutes to see if the sprinklers were going to go off. They didn't. We just said, game, seven, one. Everyone's like, yep, let's go home. And that's basically what happened. But for like professional ball players, uh, it, it was it was really bizarre. And you sort of wonder, like, was was that the plan? And you know, maybe the games were running unusually long. Like, maybe they had just hit the three hour mark in the sixth inning, or maybe someone just said, "Yeah, no, we're we're done," or we we don't want to use any of our relief pitchers anymore. So let's just shut the lights off, and then you know, I'll I'll place a phone call to the Angels guys tomorrow and just say, "Yeah, we're not really sure what that was about. Sorry." Meanwhile, they're they're smirking and laughing on the other end of the receiver. Like. We got in what we needed. We're good to go. I remember talking to Dom Nunez because he was catching the, I think the Triple A games, he and he'd been like, re- he'd been working real hard back there, and he was just in this weird spot, you know, where he's just like so clearly like, like he's huffing, he's sweating, <laughs> but this is super weird. And he's like, I guess, I guess I'm done. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, no one knew what to do with it. Yeah, that was one of those games I think where you had Drew. I think you had you had covered the the major league game, and and then you kind of came to the backfields. What what is that like transition like? Is that you know because last year when I went down to spring training, it was right when the guys first reported. Um, so it was a totally different experience seeing them. You know, doing their uh, pitcher fielding practice, the PFPs, and you know just doing hitting drills and things of that nature. But to go from the big field to the little field, what? What is that transition like on on the journalistic side, so to speak? It it's really fascinating to see, you know, how much pomp and circumstance there is over a, at the big field, and how separated everybody is. Like we were talking about before, and just kind of isolated to to use a word that's kind of loaded right now but it's crazy to see all of that and the big facilities and you know you're up in the second deck in this glass room that's state of the art (laughs) and then you walk really not that far from there you know maybe the length of a football field and a half maybe two 
and you're just on dirt, you know, hanging out behind three or four baseball games going on with extraordinarily talented people. And sometimes even, you know, guys like uh, Herman Marquez, I remember watching him after he had a year and a half under his belt and one year of pretty darn good baseball and was about to go out and be incredible in 2018. I remember watching him go to the backfields and just get knocked around. But I was like, I got to see this. But you walk back there and it's like, it's the same game. And these are super talented people, but the exact opposite amount of fanfare around the game. Like, Sometimes they're not even really keeping score. It feels like he's got to, somebody yells out, "Hey, what? Hey, what's they the score? Are we, are, are we good?" They're just a little lax about it. <laughs> you <laughs> That's know what I'm saying? And they'll sometimes end innings because no one wants to get hurt. Like if a guy's thrown like 25 or 30 pitches in an inning, they'll just be like, "All right." And, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> they just run inside. Or they'll they'll even ask and say, "Could you put a guy on second base? We we want our guy to work on something." All right, but that that run comes right. across, it counts. Yeah, who cares? Uh, it's yeah. also exciting when you've got uh, three baseball fields with home plate back to back, and you get numerous foul balls. Mm. Right, you're getting hit by the foul ball yeah. of the game. You're That's- not watching. <laughs> Yeah, you 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 begin to think like, who's this new prospect that they keep talking about? Heads, heads. everyone's clamoring about him. heads, right. heads, heads. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, head heads heads up. He's up. He's up, guys. I don't know which field is it one or two. He's on three. <laughs> which one's heads? Yeah, I don't know. But I've been hearing about this prospect for a while. He's got to be at least in his late twenties. He can't be that good. <laughs> heads, man. <laughs> Uh, that's good stuff. No, I actually even almost saw Elmis Rodriguez get plunked real hard with um, a foul ball. And isn't he on the coaching staff now? Didn't he make his way over? He may have. I think that's right. Elmis? Yeah. Because I don't think he's in the organization anymore, but I thought I read that he joined the the coaching staff in the minors. But, yeah, I remember standing right next to him when a, a stray foul ball into the crowd landed right in between us. Closer to him than me, but it was had to stay on your toes back there. You you were expecting him to call you off, and he didn't, and so that's on him. That's, that's right. on him. He's, he's the veteran. Come on, man, that's your ball. It is, and it is yeah. funny when the baseball players scatter instead of trying to catch the ball on a foul ball like that. They're all sitting back there. They all like because no. <laughs> they do. You know, and, and the back <laughs> the backfield. What's what's cool about it as as we've discussed is this idea that it's 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 very much in between practice and legitimacy it's 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 nestled in between working on specific things but also having that come to fruition you know you that happens in the minors glenn allen hill was was a big proponent anytime that i would i would talk with him it was this he would frequently remind me that you know wins and losses really isn't important in the minor leagues and it Frankly, it, you know, it should be. It, it means something to the people in the community. But as far as developing everyday players and future superstars, you're working on, hey, I want you to do this and this at bat. Yeah, but if if I if I just get underneath one, and we're going to get a sack fly and now we tie the game up at 8-8. Well, you know what? I You're not working on that right now because you, we know you can do that skill, but, but the thing that you're going to need to have, the ability that you're really going to need to have is to be able to go the opposite way. And go and hit a ball between the first and second baseman. That is what you're working on in this game. So on the backfields, you kind of get to see that where the score doesn't matter. It's more about the situations and working on particular pitches or doing some little, making those little adjustments that are going to be the difference between being stuck on the backfields and actually making it to Salt River Fields and eventually Coors Field. You know, they also do that here in Grand Junction, and that's sometimes hard on the fans because the fans want to win, right? But they do have, you know, players. It seems like pitchers in particular. This is what you need to work on. This is what we need to see, you know, that you can do. And and that's what, you know, the minors are about is developing the player. but we still want to win. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. It is. It's, it's tough on the, the local fans and they oftentimes don't get it. I think the harder one, even than that, because I can be so ambiguous uh-huh. in the moment and fans might not even know that's going on. 
but it's when a, a guy gets called up, like when Grand Junction's on this oh, great yeah. run into the postseason, and they called up John Gray because he really doesn't need to be pitching in rookie ball <laughs> anymore. Uh, and I, I remember hearing some fans really upset about that. And honestly, yeah, if you keep John Gray on that team, that they mm-hmm. probably win a, a Pioneer League championship or whatever. But that's not yeah, the point. Yeah, he wasn't there that long. And you think, well, we want to see him pitch some more. And you have to realize it. No, his job is to do what he needs to do and go to the next step, wherever that is. And that's for all of them, right? Get, get better, yeah. move up. You know, it's funny. It goes yeah. both ways. Yeah, it, it can go both ways too with the playoffs because there have been, you know, big league pitchers that, you know, are there they need to rehab, especially if their team's, you know, gonna make a run in the postseason. And if it's early to mid September, well, where are they gonna go to get some in game action? They may have to be a part of a playoff race. And so that's happened where you've got, you know, um, the advantage, if you will, of a big leaguer coming down to pitch in, in high A or, or double A, if you will. But then again, he's working on a couple of things. He doesn't really care about the outcome of the game. So it's like, hey, we got a ringer. But yeah, he's he's only going to be pitching for three innings. And he's really just working on that sinker. And it's like, oh, man, what a catch point right. too. And if you win the game, you go, well, of course, you had so-and-so pitching for you. And if you lose, you go, hey, I guess we had no excuse. Yeah, it's a, minors are well, weird. And man. We, it's a no-win situation. I was going to say we've had a couple people come rehab here, and Todd Helton did once, and that was way cool. Uh, he came and played a few games in Grand Junction, and obviously everybody was really excited to see him. And then they didn't play the whole game, of course, which they shouldn't. But of course, again, the fans, because <laughs> we know we're not going to get to see him very often, right? Uh, but that was a lot of fun. And that was that was the case with Matt mm-hmm. Holiday in uh, 2018 too. That was that was a big jumping off. Point oh yeah, and the lines of people to get autographs. And in fact, you know they don't do a lot of fanfare in Ricky Ball, right? But everybody else came out, and then he came out last and walked down the rope line and signed and signed and signed, and it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Well, the one thing in Colorado that should come with a lot of fanfare is Bojo's because they have the true Colorado mountain pie. They are delicious and they are giving you 30% off your takeout when you ask for it. So don't be shy. They got six different locations all around Colorado. They use DoorDash as well to go orders. You can just pull up. I've, I've been saying that for me, when I go, I can't not have that first slice of pizza in the car. I can't wait to drive it back home. Um, I, I gotta have it. I gotta have you it right there. I'm you, sorry. It's a little hot. It burns the roof of my mouth. I can't help myself. Dripping cheese you over your go. hand while you're driving home. Well, no, no. I, I'll just, I'll eat. I'll take that first bite in the parking uh, lot okay. to just get it started. And then I'll, and then I'll get moving. You know, I kind of, you know, when you yeah. hotbox yourself with like a pepperoni pizza, oh man, you just, you can't not. You cannot mm. partake. Mm. So Bojo's is where you go 100%. with 30% off your takeout when you ask for gluten-free, cheeseless, plant-based options. You simply must. And the final topic and talking point I wanted to discuss was, you know, essentially the Grand Junction Rockies and teams like that all over the nation, whether they be rookie ball teams or any of the 42 teams that were on Major League Baseball's lists of MILB squads to be retracted because Major League Baseball wants to improve the facilities and play their minor pay their minor leaguers more, doubling their salaries, in fact. And one way they feel they're going to best be able to do that is by simply getting rid of 42 teams all across the United States. And one of those teams, two of those teams are in Colorado. One of them is down in the Springs, the Rocky Mountain vibes, and the other one is in Grand Junction. So, Barbara, I don't know what has the community been saying about this so far. Are they scared? Are they nervous? Are they just trying to forget about it right now? Since all of baseball in the sporting world's in limbo. Well, before we knew, you know, baseball was going to be in limbo when we were getting ready to go to spring training this year, and this had come out. We talked about it. You know, the people I know that go to the games uh, were really disappointed, and it it 
it's um, and disappointed not just because we wouldn't have gains, but of course that's where the direct part is, but because feeling like these kids need rookie ball. Why why do we want to have less baseball? Don't we want to have more baseball? Uh, if it's important for them to develop, like they keep telling us, and why wouldn't we want to have this? And isn't there enough money in baseball uh, to keep these teams and pay them better and do that? Where you know what are the uh, why are you cutting costs to be able to do that? And I haven't seen the financial proposals, uh, but I think if that was your goal, you would figure out how to do it. And I know the Grand Junction community would really support it. I haven't seen uh, the stats on the vibes. You guys probably know that better than I do. Uh, but they, all of these teams become very much a part of the community and it would be very sad to lose it. And Drew, I, I know that's, that's where you broke in, as you've mentioned you know, covering the Grand Junction Rockies, that was, that. you know, hey, you were a minor leaguer there too as well uh, on your come up. So I, I know it's, I'm, it has, you know, the same feelings as a, as a fan growing up and, and seeing ball there as a young man. And, and then also, you know, living some of your life as a professional there. You, I don't know, can you separate the two? Is it, is that an, an impossible thing to, to ask of someone from one of these communities? I mean, I I think I can separate the two intellectually if I must, and and tr have a conversation about just the facts and figures when necessary. But um, I, I I mean, the human element is a part of the game, right? That Patrick, that's what they keep telling us, and um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not going to uh, choose very often to separate the, the two because. Uh, I actually just happen to be a living embodiment of the problem, right? The counter example to the, the, the counter argument, I should say, to why not, why get rid of these 42 teams? Why, you lose communities of people. And if there was no Grand Junction Rockies just a few years ago, I might not be sitting here talking to you today. This might not be, my career, uh, who knows, you know, that's a very, in fact, that's almost certainly the case. So when you talk about a community of people no longer having baseball, you're not just talking about the fans. Yes. It's all the fans that go. You're talking about the young kids that can go and fall in love with the game. The kid who got to play catch with John Gray in his backyard after games and the uh, host families and all of those things that we're talking about here. But yeah, even, you know, journalists who cover it, um, photographers, uh, uh, the, 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 the McDonald's across the street that Carlos Estevez used to go to all the time. Uh, there, there is a ripple effect that I think major league baseball is being short-sighted about when they talk about, cost i don't think they're factoring everything in and some of it's you know more short short term and the economy around the place and the fans and, and all of that but some of it really is a long-term growth of the game and love and appreciation for the game that reaches out past the big cities and into these communities where somebody like me from little old grand junction colorado can walk into the Colorado Rockies clubhouse and interview Nolan Arenado and then go into the backfields and watch Brendan Rogers take some AVs. Like that's, I, I don't know. I, you know, we, we lose a lot more than just, Hey, are they selling enough tickets at all of these minor league stadiums or is the travel worth it? They don't like the travel either. I'll tell you that the travel sucks yeah. in the pioneer league. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. There's, <laughs> there is no one wants to take an eight hour bus ride to uh what what do they where do they play out in we Boise play in the, or no the um Montana Missoula Missoula yeah Missoula Orem uh <laughs> Orem you got all of you talking about eight hour drive to Orem but Good. but minor leagues for baseball is like the development arm of a really good company and 
and sometimes companies aren't as good about it. Research and development is your future, right? The minor leagues are your future. You want to be developing those players. And I'm, like I said, I'm for more baseball, not less baseball. Hey, if it was up to me, I would expand the major leagues <laughs> and I'd have that many more minor league teams uh, because I think it would be good for baseball and good for the communities. And when you look at just, they're talking about a cost benefit analysis where they're not factoring in a lot of things that I think should be factored in. Very Companies don't make money on research and development until that goes to the next step, right? That's the same thing with the minor leagues. Yeah, that's very true because, you know, I think what Major League Baseball wants to do is to push that development down on the colleges to do that, but they're not going to do as good of a job as they are in the major leagues, um, unfortunately. And again, if, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And so I think Major League Baseball would, you know, miss out on a lot of that development and and developing, you know, future professionals because, you know, Drew, like you said, if you got to take that whatever six, eight hour bus ride from Idaho Falls to, to Billings, Montana and play the Mustangs, well, you know, you're going to learn a lot about a guy's personality and their makeup and you can teach them a lot of, you know, of those unwritten rules and things of that nature and, and really start the development process early rather than what, again, minor league, uh, major league baseball is proposing for MILB, cutting out that bottom rung. And now you're going to have guys jumping in to the minors and, and shoot, they might only have a year. You know, if, if they do it right, they may only have a year in the minors before they're in the major leagues. And, you know, are they going to ruffle feathers? I, I know, you know, a lot of MLB, the old school guys, they wouldn't, they wouldn't like that, right? That, that may be good for the game, doing yeah. things in a new way. But, you know, if, and until you kind of get a guy to, to understand your system and, and understand the right way, quote unquote, for better or worse, the game of baseball, you know, it, it's going to change things at the major league level if you don't have that structure in the minor leagues. And, and as we've been talking, there's host families in Grand Junction and down in Colorado Springs that help this all move along. And they are, you know, I don't want to say they're going to be punished, but they are now just going to be without all of that. And that's that's a, a true crime. There, there are professionals who who got into, you know, professional sports and major league, minor league baseball, at, at, in the hopes of maybe one day making it to the big city of Colorado, uh, of Denver, I should say, and um, and working for the Rockies or another team. And and now what? Now they have to, you know, uplift their life or their family, or they just say, "All right, I guess I guess my dream is dead." And that's that's incredibly sad. You know who we should talk to when we revisit this conversation sometime in the future? It's um, <clears throat> a young man by the name of Trevor Story. Uh, he doesn't often uh, speak at length uh, without being prompted a lot. He's really great about talking to us. It's just, I don't think in his nature to, uh, unless you're really getting into the nitty gritty of baseball, talk about a lot of stuff, but he's, he's made the effort. I've actually noticed that about him. Um, and that's one of the things that he's always done is make the effort. Uh, Trevor story spent like, I don't know, 42 <laughs> years in the minor leagues Perfect. and was, uh, you know, at times considered potentially a top prospect and then just completely left off of all those lists for a while He's had stops in a number of different places. He had his ups and downs throughout the minors. And I'd, I'd be very curious to hear what he thinks or, or the value of, you know, it really did take him a long time to get to the bigs. And it's really funny when you look at him now as this star level talent in Major League Baseball, when he hasn't been in Major League Baseball for as long as he was in Minor League Baseball. Yeah, and, and he, he, you know, he played in one of those communities that were affected in the same way that we are talking about, you know, major league baseball is, you know, they've, they've done this before, uh, frankly, you know, they've, they've up uprooted communities or uprooted teams from communities. And 
they've done this before, sadly, and so it, I guess it shouldn't be you know too much of a surprise. But you know the the Rockies organization did that when they purchased the Casper Ghosts, and then 2012. Hey, Grand Junction, congratulations! Right. But what about that community in Casper? And, and Trevor Story was there for that. Right. So you're right; it would be interesting to get his thoughts on you know what is the Casper baseball community like now? How did those people feel when? Their team was just taken away from them. Like you that. know, when, and one of the things baseball does, and so you guys probably don't remember when Denver didn't have a team, but <laughs> what, what did they ask to, to get a, to get a major league team? What is, what's one of the major things you have to prove? And it's that you have community support, that, that there are people there yeah. that want to see baseball. Yeah. And then again, people there, generally that have to fund uh, a ballpark. They, they ask the community to come and support. And in the minor leagues, they do the same thing, not to that great uh, of an extent, but you have to have a decent stadium, which we have uh, primarily because of having JUCO here for so long. And they ask you to buy into it. They ask the community to care. And then when we make the decision not to do it, they act like that doesn't matter. And that's what I think is is really bad about it because they want you to be involved. All the promotions, right, are to be involved. This is your community. This is your team. This is how you can help. This is why it's fun. This is why we're doing these things. And then if they say, oh, never mind. We're done. Mm, Was that very harsh? Painful. <laughs> very painful. Very painful. No, it's 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 a, it's an accurate depiction of of what that can be like for, you know, any number of cities that have lost, you know, a minor league team or even a major league team that that we know that that's happened. Oh yeah, and, um, it, it it can definitely definitely be heartbreaking. Before we wrap it up, any other final stories uh, that you want to share uh, with our listeners, either about watching games on the backfields at Salt River? Or, uh, or anything even uh, at Grand Junction at Suplesio Field? Um, I wanted to mention one thing about spring training and uh, just to say that because we went early this year, we actually did get to go see several games, so we got to see some baseball, and I'm really glad we went early and got to do that. But one of the things that you, – Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're, one of the, you're one of the very, very lucky yeah. few, yes. For the rest of us, we're going on – uh, eight months uh -huh. now without having baseball back. And in we would generally go yeah. later uh, in the spring training, more mid-March. And this year we went March 1st. So they'd already been playing a few games, but we got to see nine to 10 days of baseball and go to a couple of ballparks that we hadn't been to, which I always love. I really, you guys and I like ballparks and like going to see. Um, but the other thing about going early is the the guys that get to play and sometimes they're playing against other minor league guys too because it's you can have this weird thing about having all stars in the same game with the guy that played in Grand Junction last year right just because certain people <laughs> are there and they get into the game and it's so exciting to see that kid get into the game uh and and get to play and then as that time goes on in spring training, because what you have the uh, the end of February till the end of March for for spring training, uh, guys get sent back to the backfields, and they're they're not going to get to play anymore. And I remember Drew was it three years ago or was it four now when that happened to Ryan McMahon, and he was so excited and so much fun to be out there and playing with the big boys, and then okay, it's your turn to turned to go back to the backfields. Uh, and he looked at you yeah. and gave a little shrug and got up to bat, right? Yep. <clears throat> yeah. And, and it was, you know, and he knew he wasn't quite ready for the big leagues, but it was one of those, man, that <laughs> tasted good. I'm going to need some more of that. <laughs> he was, he, it does something to these guys. And uh, yeah, it can be very difficult to uh, put into words and you can't quantify it. Uh, and it is a very real experience. And it's something I was feeling out of uh, yeah. Brendan Rogers this year. You know, he'd been in spring camp. But it's a difference when, you know, 
I'm close. I've tasted it now. I want some more of that. I've worked all off season and I want that. I know what I want. I'm going to get it. And uh, there's a special energy being around stuff like that. So I, I think that's what I love about those. And, and yeah, even when it's a guy gets sent back, I've been in the clubhouse and watched guys pack up their bags, uh, you know, to head over to, to the minor league side of things. And it's, it's rough, but you know, they get there and, and the journey continues. So there's a there's a very bittersweet side to it, but it's pretty, pretty I love cool. spring training. <laughs> and we, we might have it's it's fantastic. And you know, again, with, with we'll see what, what happens in the in the upcoming months, but if baseball does come back and, and there's the grapefruit league and cactus league option, you know, those backfields will they very much should be buzzing with you know, double A and triple A games, you know, because frankly, you know, the Rockies and, and anybody else, they're not going to be able to survive on just their 26 man roster. So they got to have those other guys ready. And, and so the backfields, I think will still get plenty of use, you know, this summer and, and, and this fall should baseball come back. And do you know how they're going to do that with the minor leagues? Cause I read an article today and they were just talking about how they might be able to play if they did these things. And then they said, and that isn't even, even come close to saying how will minor leagues get started again? Is that even a possibility? Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people inside of MILB. Uh, nobody, nobody top ranking, but just from different teams. And it, and it, it almost sounds like, you know, minor league baseball is kind of, it's dead for this season. I think it just needs resuscitation, you know, for 2021, but minor league baseball, again, will, it kind of exists only on the backfields. Um, much like in 95, when the players came back from the lockout, they expanded rosters, I think, from 25 to 28-man rosters. So, you know, that they had enough, you know, relievers and, and, and even, you know, position players and they weren't getting those off days. Um, so now we have 26-man rosters already. The, you know, the, the roster for every dugout could be upwards of 30. And you could also have the 40-man roster expand anywhere from 50 to 60, so that, again, you've got that um, protection of guys who, you know, you can get, they get paid a little bit more for being on the on the official, you know, 40 to 60 man roster, so to speak. Um, so they can, you know, better take care of those players so they can find a place in the in the Scottsdale area. And then again, if, if they need someone, they've got much more flexibility. Because if, if you've got 30 guys on the active roster, and then there's only, 10 more on the, on the 40 man, you know, that's, that's kind of cutting it really close, especially if you need, you know, an outfielder and all of your outfielders are, are currently already on the, the 30 man roster. So yeah, so many things up in the air as far as that goes. I was, I was surprised when I heard that there could potentially be like a 50 man roster. Well, you don't want to get anybody hurt, right? Whether it's an actual injury right, or just overworking if they're going to try to do you know, those many games that intensely, it's not worth, especially in already our asterisk season, it's not worth getting anybody hurt or, or, you know, totally stressing their body that to wear out. Uh, Cause they can do that. I mean, they use those bodies hard. They do. And I think I think that'll be a topic for for next week's minor league Monday, where maybe I preview players that we could actually see in 2020 in a in this new world order that we have with let's say a 50 man roster. When you know what guys need to be moved through the minor leagues a little bit quicker, and their assistance might be needed on the big league roster a little bit quicker. But our final sports column question of the week is. What Colorado or other Rocky Mountain region city would be great for minor league baseball? We know, we know Grand Junction is already a great minor league city, and, and, and we would love to see them continue to be in operation going forward. But is there another place in Colorado, Wyoming? Uh, is, there, is there a spot in, in New Mexico that could possibly be a really great hotbed for minor league baseball? That's a question for everybody out there. But if you've got an answer, Barbara, Drew, go ahead, chime in. What do you think? I don't have an answer, but I do think having our AAA team, the Rockies AAA team in Albuquerque has been great 
I want to say that the whole oh, facility, yeah. I don't yes. know as much about it as you guys do, but I just think that was a wonderful move for the organization overall. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it'd be great to have a, a baseball team just way up in the mountains and make it ridiculous, <laughs> was, but you know, you think they need to play in Leadville. Just, just yeah. Yeah. Let's get a Leadville team. I mean, they you know, used to play like in Uray. Rail, Uray. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Leadville had a major, yeah. Leadville had a, uh, had a professional team up there. Yeah. Well. You could, you'd probably have to make the outfield wall. Well, first off, so the outfield walls would be, you know, down the lines, they would have to be at least 350. But going all the way around the outfield, you would need a green monster. So it would have to be green monster from left to right field. And maybe Love even it. a double monster down the left field line. I don't know. So you didn't lose baseballs? Who says no? Yeah. Yeah, it one of I was gonna say one of the things that would be interesting is Patrick, have you looked at the at the Sugar Beet League? At all? No, I want to say that sounds familiar, but I don't think I'm too familiar there, with it. Okay, so there used to be, it was probably what we would consider independent or back before, there was a, a sugar beet league, and it was mostly made up of farm workers on the East Slope, mm. on the Eastern Plains, whatever that is. And uh, I've read a few articles about it, and I thought it was really interesting because they had their own league and they played each other. And, and because sugar beets were a thing we used to do here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Was there a team in Brighton? In Greeley, Brighton, maybe? probably. I, you know, the article I read was uh, talked about that whole kind of that Eastern corridor that I don't think much about put until we're driving through it uh-huh. again. And, uh, but it seemed like it was kind of like back in the days when every town had their own small team, but these guys actually, you know, went out and played each other. Um, Yeah, you've definitely piqued my interest. I'll have to, you know, look into that. And, and I I think one area that would probably be pretty ripe, uh, if I was answering my own question, um, would be. You know, I think Windsor, so right across from Loveland, would be uh-huh. a really good, really good location for minor league baseball. I, I, I think that could actually exist. I don't, I don't think you could have a team in Boulder unless the Rockies signed off on it because it's it's too close. It's too close yeah. um, there are restrictions against that, and you know, I'm, and I'm cheating a little bit by saying you know Loveland slash Windsor because there was you know some approval for a project to go up there um, to build all of these you know. Um, sort of little league fields uh-huh. and build some hotels so that that could kind of be a hub for a lot of different, you know, amateur tournaments for, for travel ball teams and high school clubs to play at. And at the centerpiece uh, of the entire facility was going to be, you know, a minor league facility. And I think that would have worked really well in the pioneer league. So they could have, you know, the Rocky mountain vibes could have a travel companion, the owner, uh, we mentioned them before the uh, team in Orem, Utah, the Orem owls, he had discussed, uh, I think it was last year, in fact, I know it was, uh, it was 2018, had discussed uh, with the city of Pueblo to possibly move Orem to Pueblo. So there's there's potential there for the this eastern side of, of Colorado to have a lot more minor league baseball. And yeah, I think we just want some baseball. The San Luis Valley. We want some baseball back. The San Luis Valley would like it too. But again, we're looking at one of the problems with Colorado and around here is the travel time when you have to go to those other places, right? Yeah. Well, thank you, Barbara, for joining us. Drew, thank you for joining us. Please thank him by following him on Twitter <laughs> at Drew Creesman. I am at Patrick D. Lyons. We collectively are at dnvr underscore rockies thanks for joining us and hey what do you say we do this again real soon sounds good (laughs) i meant to to say next monday yeah i'm gonna have to look in the sugar beet thing that'd be pretty cool let's look into that oh i love it i love that yeah
Yeah, there apparently there's a team in Greeley called the Greeley Grays, and there there's a team that a collegiate team uh, that Jason Hirsch, he and uh, his business partner, they both own a collegiate league, and the, one of the teams is the Greeley Grays. Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, Mile High. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Mile High. Wait, do I have that right? I'm drawing a blank now. Yeah, Mile High Collegiate Mile High Collegiate Baseball League. I think that's what's theirs is called. Or or is that the one that Boulder was in? Yeah, yeah, I think that's one. Hmm. Uh, was it huh 